Thank you for that song. And um, can everyone hear me, actually? Are we, are we good? Okay, great. Okay, I have some familiar faces here. Oh, there's... I don't want to call you out, Elijah, but I just did. <laughs> um, so, yeah, welcome to our service, our first ever here at near Columbia. Wow, what a historic day. Um, so thankful, such a privilege to be here. Those of you who don't know me, my name is Manny. I'm one of the pastors for Grace Point Ministries, and my home is actually in Boston, but I'm here in New York. I've come here uh, multiple times, and uh, it's just really exciting to see the birth of a church here. And, you know, we just saw that slideshow, the moment of silence. Uh, you know, I was uh, in San Francisco at the time, and so it was like 6-something a.m. when the planes hit, and very personal, very powerful, and I remember that period um, following that here in the city of New York, there were more people uh, filling the pews of churches than ever before, and people who were rushing to find out uh, answers to their questions about life. And that is my prayer, that such a spiritual revival will happen again here in New York. And uh, may this be the beginning, uh, just a seed that gets planted uh, from our team here, and I invite you to be a part of what God wants to do here. So really a, a privilege to be here. A little bit about myself, because for the sake of um, those who may not know, uh, here's my family, and so uh, my two daughters. Um, my second daughter, I just found out, is the same age as Dexter, so sorry to call out another person, but I, I think they're just like one day apart, 2003. February 7th, February 8th, wow, So, but since you're born in China, maybe it's the same day, I don't know, <laughs> so, all right, so I came to our church uh, as a sophomore back in, yes, that's the date, um, and this is my home group, it was as small as this gathering here, and I'm the guy on the banister way at the top in the red shirt, so I was a sophomore in college, uh, we decided that Ever since that period, our church it was very small in Berkeley, California, and then we, we um, decided around the mid-2000s that we're going to start planting churches in college towns other than Berkeley. So that's when we started to plan for that, and we did go to Shinju, Taiwan as our first collegiate plant overseas. And then we decided after, that was in 2007, and then 2008, we said, okay, let's launch one here in the States. And so we decided in Austin, Texas, it seems random. It's still kind of random to me now, but we went to Austin, Texas, and Sonny and my wife, I mean, my wife, Sonny, we went to Austin in July of 08. And there's a picture of our first team um, where we landed there. Um, and then we, it's still there, by the way. We're not there, but it's still there. The church has grown and it's right in front of, or very close to, the University of Texas, Austin. And then five years later, Sunny and I had the privilege to go to UCLA, and we planted that in 2013. So we were in SoCal, or Southern California, for all of that time until last year. And then after COVID, uh, we decided we're going to just launch, or actually even during COVID, we decided to launch... Uh, these church plants all across the Midwest and the East Coast, and we sent over 400 people out on church plants, of which, like, you got some people here uh, who were a part of that church planting team, and including Stony Brook 
and then NYU. So that's why some of the NYU students got a chance to get to know our team last year. So uh, my wife and I, however, we went to Boston in 2021. So it was a big landing in Boston. So that's a little bit of our history. And now we have come here to Columbia. So uh, let, I just am looking forward to what God will do in the city, not just here in Manhattan, but in all the boroughs. Uh, who knows how God will lead us. So uh, I just wanted to jump into the topic for today, which is a really the, I've been, I'm hitting you at midstream because I've been doing a message series called Upon This Rock, and that is based upon a passage where Jesus says to his disciple, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. And what is this rock? It's his confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so I took that and I expanded it out to a series of messages about who Jesus is, what is sin, using Peter's very words. And so today, it's the third message, actually. It's the first for you, but it's the third message of this series. And again, it's through the life of Peter. And through that, we get to really understand another aspect of the Christian gospel. So let's uh, read this from Matthew 14. Just follow along with me. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, Command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and, began, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Okay, so that is this is the story of Jesus miraculously walking on water. And I want to go back to the first verse that we read when uh, he, Peter sees Jesus walking on the water. And then he says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. That's very interesting. Like I would just say, oh no, oh, and I would freak out. But his response is, I want to come to you on the water as he sees Jesus walking on it. So I want to just draw your attention to this phrase, if it is you, uh, if it is you, because he's not certain that it is Jesus. But at the same time, when Jesus says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid, there must have been a familiarity toward that voice. It must have been very reassuring. I don't think even in the midst of the of the winds and on the sea, I don't think Jesus is speaking to him in a scary voice. Like, uh, take heart, you know, echo, 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 echo. It is I. And then you're like, oh my gosh, this is already a scary situation. But I would imagine it would be more of a reassuring voice. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And so Peter says, if it is you, then command me to come to you on the water. And then Jesus says, 
Okay, then come. In verse 29. And guess what Peter does? Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Can you imagine that first terrifying step of walking into the water? There's winds howling, water, and that would have been, that would have been terrifying. And yet he does that. He goes outside of his normal probability structure and he decides, I'm going to do this just because why? Because Jesus said, come. So I want to talk about this idea of faith and trust and belief. I guess faith, trust, belief. It's really all one and the same. And it turns out, and that's the topic for today, because it's, it's, it's what's needed to come, to, to come, to a personal, come into a personal relationship with Jesus. It's not just simply... Um, okay, I intellectually agree with these principles, but it's a relationship with a personal God, and that requires faith and trust. That's true in any human relationship. We need to trust, uh, and we are vulnerable when we trust in another person. Hey, I want you to meet me at this cafe, and we're not thinking, oh, that person is uh, just saying that we're, we're actually trusting in many of their words and statements. So this is the topic I want to talk about today. So um, is this distracting, this beeper, beeping noise, something? It is a little bit, right? It's okay. I'll try to like tune it out here. Okay. Is that? Okay. Well, just now that I've brought, brought your attention to it, you're just sort of, okay. So we'll just kind of push through. Uh, here's the issue though. I think the issue is that uh, uh, belief and trust, like there are some dynamics of belief that I wanted to cover today. And let, let's go to verse 30, where it says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And, he, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. So even though Peter is confident in Jesus and in his relationship with Jesus, at the same time, he sees the wind and he becomes fearful and that causes him to sink. And I think we must understand that that's part of the dynamic of faith. It's like faith and there's a, a bit of doubt. And what leads to that doubt? It's this very tangible reality of the wind coming. And then he starts to feel it, and he starts to become self-aware. He begins to see, oh my gosh, I'm on water. This is not supposed to happen. Ah! And he starts to sink. So it's not just simply reason and, and just intellectual assurance that is then the foolproof way in which we just trust in Jesus, and therefore we're never going to doubt because Peter was confident in Jesus, and yet he doubts, and he starts to sink. So what are the dynamics of belief? So I wanted to um, read a quote from C.S. Lewis from his book, Mere Christianity. It says, I'm, I was assuming that if the human mind once accepts a thing as true, it will automatically go on regarding it as true until some real reason for reconsidering it turns up. In fact, I was assuming that the human mind is completely ruled by reason, but that is not so. And it's because of just what I explained to you. Reason doesn't always win out because our 
there are many other reasons that, that causes doubt to happen. So let's go over some of those reasons. So um, I want to, verse 31, it says, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So I don't think Jesus is saying this in a chastising tone. I think uh, if he did want to say it in a chastising tone, he could have chosen other choice words to Peter. But I think it's, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? It seems like Jesus understands that doubt is a part of the struggle with trust. So what is doubt? Well, doubt is not unbelief. Because unbelief, like what is unbelief? Unbelief, at least in Scripture, in the Bible, it generally refers to a willful refusal to trust in God. It refers to like a deliberate decision on my part to reject him, to disobey him. Doubt is not like that. Doubt is more, and I looked up the origin of this word, is to see both sides of. In other words, it's this picture of going back and forth between two alternatives. So doubt is when you're hung up, I guess another way to put that is hung up between certainty and uncertainty. So you can actually have strong faith, you are certain about a belief, but also have doubts. In fact, it has been said that struggling with God over the issues of life doesn't show lack of faith, that is faith. Because it implies that when we struggle, we're holding on to trust in God on one hand as, a, as legitimate and even the most viable option. But here's the thing. You think you're never going to doubt God just because you've come to believe in Him, but there are other reasons to just kind of pull you away, and I want to go over those reasons. That's why there's these two alternatives that you go back and forth uh, on. So uh, let's, let's talk about that. There is... Of course, intellectual doubt. And I'm not going to go too deep into that. But still, there, I just want to affirm that there is intellectual doubt. But my experience in doing college ministry to you know, college students is generally the issue is not intellectual doubt or, uh, regarding a trust in God because there's so much evidence out there that gives a solid foundation to the Christian faith. In fact, philosophically, atheism is no longer seen as a tenable option among the scholars out there. For example, many people cite that there is no solution in atheism toward the problem of sin and pain. Because, frankly, that's one of the few things we know for certain, and they can't explain away why that exists in the atheist worldview. And we get that experientially. Like, wow, like there is sin and human badness. You just have to uh, turn into the 24-hour news cycle to really see that. So it turns out there are a lot of sources of doubt, but it's, that doubt is not primarily driven by some intellectual doubt. I, a lot of my experience in my own life and in ministering to other people, other people, it's really the doubt that arises from our emotions and our feelings. And primarily, I think it's this whole like fear, you know, and I just use this from our course 101 uh, because you fear, anyway, I'm not going to go into this uh, screen, but fear as the predominant emotion that 
gets us to doubt? And what is it that, uh, going back to Peter, gets him to doubt? He sees the wind, and he starts to become afraid. It's that emotion. And when you are faced with something that intimidates you, that exposes your inadequacy in some way, then we start to go down toward, okay, is this object of my faith, i.e. God, really trustworthy? Because the fear is what you're experiencing. So in Peter's case, it's the wind, and it's causing him to be afraid. So he no longer trusts in Jesus, at least for that moment. What are the things in our lives that could represent the winds, that would be intimidating, that would expose our sense of inadequacy. Well, we can start with intimidating structures. Here, living in New York, you see all these buildings, you go downtown, you see Wall Street, and it's not just the buildings and the sheer size that's intimidating, it's what these buildings represent. Uh, These people are with it, these people are going somewhere, they're achieving something, And it is intimidating. In fact, when you get to college, it's intimidating when you just meet another student and you go, man, I wonder if you're as smart as I am, you know? And then you start to wonder and you go, wow, this person's a genius. And then you realize, wow, this this is an intimidating group of people. And you start to what? You start to fear. And that fear is what causes you to feel like, oh my, I I don't know if I'm going to make it. Um, Do I have what it takes? And then you double down, and you work harder, and you work harder, and then what that generally leads to is more fear because you realize, no, I am a fallible human being. So what the net effect of that is you start to move away from a trust in God. So I just gave that one example, and C.S. Lewis has some words to say about that. Now, faith in the sense in which I am here using the word is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. The first step is to recognize the fact that your moods change. In other words, these fears hit us, produces in us an insecurity, and then that doesn't mean that the truth of who God is and what you've affirmed has changed. That's still the same. It's just that you've encountered an intimidating situation which has produced in you an emotion that has caused this doubt. So I just want to ask you, let's just do a little bit of like sharing and maybe even reflection, maybe a little bit vulnerable. Like how do you respond to intimidating situations or even fears? Like what is your response to that? Do you, I don't know, blank and Let's just get our minds thinking about this topic and, and as it also relates to how emotions in general have a way of shaking your faith. So let's do that for, for a minute and a half.
All right, can you hear me? Okay, great. Okay, so let me tell you how Peter responded from this story. How did he respond to the wind and this fearful situation? It's interesting, he began to sing and he cried out, Lord, save me. It's a little bit of a humiliating response because you kind of put yourself out there and then you start to sink. You realize you don't have what it takes, but it's, it's almost childlike in saying, Lord, save me, help me. It's a very humble, humble posture that Peter exhibits here. What's our way of crying out, Lord, save me? I think, of course, that's prayer, but how do you deal with that doubt when your emotions start to swell up? And one way is it's important to go back to the truths that you have affirmed, like C.S. Lewis said, that you once determined to be true. It's important to go back to the Bible and the gospel truths as a way in which you recall, because the Bible articulates reality, and it's probably the case that that's what attracted you to the the Bible in the first place, because if it doesn't correspond with reality, you're like, what is this document? But because it does, it explains you and the world, it probably caused you to go, yeah, I want to find out more about this truth. Well, go back to it. And one, what, one way that, that helps me is I go back to the fundamental truth of, what, of how the Bible describes me, the human condition, human nature. And earlier I talked about sin briefly, but for me, this is really a clear evidence of when I, when I think about sin, I go back to that first principle. Am I a sinner? And there's no other worldview that has such a sophisticated understanding of human nature than the Bible. I go back to it, I read it. The Bible says we are a good thing gone bad, so we possess within ourselves the same person, the ability to be noble and virtuous and heroic and sacrificial, and yet we're also capable of a lot of destruction, vices, and just narcissistic hubris in the same person. And when I look at the Bible, it's like, wow, it does capture me. It captures human beings. So when I start to doubt, I go back to that fundamental truth and I go, but the Bible explains it so well. It is true. And that's just one angle. But you go back and you reaffirm all the truths that are explained in the Bible. So those moments when we're we're doubting, it's important to just be honest with our doubts and not just to push through. Peter's honest, you know, he's sinking, of course. And I mean, what if he wasn't honest? I'm not sinking, ah, ah, and then he's drowning. No, he has to be honest, right? And he's honest, Lord, save me. So in those moments when we are honest, what do we do? We look into our heart and we go, for example, in the example of sin, is there sin there? Is there shame there? Is there a deep sense that there's something wrong with me? And that this is not the way that it was supposed to be. And then you realize, no, I am a sinner and God is right. And Jesus is, it it makes sense that he would send his son Jesus to come and die for my sins and save me from my sins. And it ends up bolstering my faith again. So do you do this? Can you, you know, when the emotions start to swirl, do you do this? Do you go back to the fundamental truths of scripture or Is your response to fears escaping reality into some fantasy when you get tired of struggling instead of going back to those fundamental truths and dealing with those feelings and that causes you doubt? 
So I encourage you to go back to those truths. Now, another way in which we doubt is the volitional aspect. So I said intellectual, and then emotional, and then volitional. By volitional, I mean it's your choice to, d- to doubt because of something that you're protecting. And I think it, when I say protecting, it's, I guess another way to say that is you're unwilling to let go of some lifestyle, of something that you deem very precious. And instead of dealing with that and struggling with that and saying, is that worth treasuring? There are people that just simply use that and instead of being honest, say, well, I'm doubting God and God seems distant, rather than just face into that desire. So if it's a question of your will, then I think it's an important question to ask us. What is specifically holding you back in terms of your trust in God? Because there might be something there. And, it's a, and usually it's, when it comes to this volitional aspect, it's a choice where we allow our disobedience or our pride to plague us, and you could fill our mind with doubts for the rest of your life to justify the kind of life priorities you have set for yourself. So again, going back to being honest, being honest with your desires, understanding that these are contradictory, identifying what those desires might be, and then going back to the gospel again and working it out and realizing that I got swayed by something that's very flimsy in the end because God is still God and what he has done is still true. So someone has said, you have to deal with doubts and isolate, isolate them and then doubt those doubts. And I found that very helpful. You move toward those doubts. Uh, figure out where it's coming from and then deal with it so that you come to some resolution and go back to the truth that you affirmed all along, that God is who uh, he says he is. So keep preaching the gospel to yourself. Dispel the power of these idols that cause you to fear. And instead of being intimidated by culture or intimidating structures or, or people, maybe go on a rant against it. You know, man, like, New York City, it's like the mecca of media and entertainment. And, and yet, just think about even one aspect, the entertainment movie industry and how the actors and actresses are so insecure. And, and yet, they, they promote a certain view of life that it's about success and fame and, and material wealth. And yet, it has not delivered the promised satisfaction of this inconsolable longing that is in human beings. Think about that. Instead of happiness, even among the famous, it has produced more anxiety and depression and greater fear and wondering if someone's going to replace me. And that's at the famous level. That also scales to us when we find ourselves trying to fill this inconsolable longing with something else. So, deal with those doubts. Now, I think people do get stuck in their crisis of doubt, and I think a lot has to do also with the fact that there are many of your questions that go unexplained. And by that I mean there's, there's a problem that people feel where I don't have a sufficient 
enough explanation. And because I don't have enough of an explanation about how things work, then I cannot proceed. And boy, have I met a lot of people that way, where they're really investigating this whole God thing, and I think they're getting traction, and they're learning more and more about God, and they see that the Bible is true. But then there's some, some aspects that they get hung up on. It's like, I can't explain that, therefore I can't move on. And it's like miracles or something. I can't, no one can explain a miracle, which is by definition is why it's a miracle. But no one can explain a miracle, or at least they don't know like the mechanism behind it. And because of that, oh, I don't think I can pursue God. And it fills a person with a lot of doubts. But it's that the fact that something goes unexplained should not be a reason for you to stop your pursuit. And here's an example. Let me give you an example from my favorite pastime, baseball. Okay, I love baseball. And I could tell no one is really nodding their head. Okay, there's like one person. Everyone's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> like, and, and so people talk about the physics of baseball. And there has been some scientific studies, believe it or not on baseball regarding pitching and batting, which was made by a famous by a Yale physicist, Robert Adair, and he wrote a book called The Physics of Baseball. So I actually took some time to read that. <laughs> and, and, and one aspect that he talks about is it's how humans are able to, like a batter is able to estimate the expected position of a moving baseball going 100 miles an hour with the reaction time that's required is just like, it's unexplainable. Like, how does a ball going that way is like point something to reaction speed? So, so it just seems impossible to explain. And yet, when I go to a baseball game, I see it happen again and again and again. People hit that ball. And so, if a person gets stuck on the unexplainable, I can't explain how this works, I don't understand the mechanism, and I don't think the physicists can explain that mechanism still to this day, maybe not even in our lifetime, then what, what to do? Like, if something is not explainable, should we then just say, oh, it's not true, but then I see it's true, I see it experientially, and you just get stuck there, or if it's undeniably true that people can hit a 100-mile-per-hour fastball, am I going to prefer the undeniable over the unexplainable? And so undeniable over the unexplainable. The disciples witnessed, let me just give you an example, the resurrection of Jesus. He died and he rose again, and it's a historically attested to fact. It's unexplainable. It's a miracle. And yet, the disciples saw it. It was undeniable, and because it was undeniable, their lives were forever transformed. And we see the ripple effects of the resurrection event happening throughout the contours of our history, of all human history. It has a, pro a profound impact on all of humanity. So what was undeniable for Peter? What was undeniable is that Jesus said, come, and he got to walk on water, just defying physics. And he got to walk on water. It's unexplainable, but it's undeniable. Now, people who have a, a priori commitment that miracles don't happen, then you can actually dismiss all of this 
undeniable testimony and reality based on the fact that they don't understand. It's unexplainable. Some of it is probably driven by fear. What if this is true, this undeniable event? And then they start to calculate and spin in their own minds. Oh my gosh, what does it mean for me and my life and my priorities and my future? And what does it mean for my family? What will they think of me? They'll think I'm crazy. Are you one of those crazy Christians now? And then all of these other things come in. And then it starts to cause you to doubt. And so you need to go back to the undeniable proof of what God has done in history and in your life if you're Christian. Start with what you know. And so here, I just want to urge you to take Course 101 at our church. It's Christian, appropriately Christian foundations. We're talking about foundations and first principles. It's good for Christians and it's good for people who are seeking because it goes down to these first principles. So instead of being stuck on what's unexplainable, go back to and investigate. Start there. And at every point, you don't... So I'm not saying you don't ask questions. No, you ask questions, ask questions, but at a certain point, there will be the potential that there is a potential that exists that you will be forever in this cycle of asking questions because how can something be 100% explainable? So there's some questions we won't ever get answered to our fullest satisfaction. That doesn't mean there isn't an explanation, but it's, it means that it's, we're limited in our, in, our, in our abilities as human beings, and there's still, we're, we cannot even explain how a, a baseball player hits a 100-mile-per-hour fastball in that amount of reaction time. So, um, Peter was not a man of tremendous faith, actually. Uh, he says, come, and then he goes out, he starts to walk on water, he starts to sink. Later, he even denies Jesus three times. And so it's maybe he's here to just show us that doubts are a part of the process in which we live in this world where God is not imminent. And it, we see through the life of Peter that though he experienced an amazing work of God all around him, it's undeniable. There's miracles that he experienced the testimonies of people that got transformed and healed by Jesus. The gospel seemed true, right, and reasonable. Yet even in the midst of that, he's sinking. And that is probably us too. Human beings have this capacity, amazing capacity, to trust, but also to deny just about anything. Just by creating this doubt and saying, well... And then whatever is the underlying reason for that doubt, volitional, emotional, or intellectual. So Peter, as he clings to this undeniable truth, however, that, and, then, and then he asks Jesus to save him, he comes to a reassuring place. So I just want to encourage you, you know, whatever scary situations that you might be experiencing right now that's causing you to doubt, Wherever, whatever that might be, go back to the truths of who God is. And then what happens is that, not that the winds disappear, but it shrinks a little bit. And 
it becomes right-sized in the grand scheme of things. That's what Christian life is all about, my friends. I urge you to reach out to the undeniable truth of God. And as you do, what you will discover is an answer to your own inconsolable longings. And what you will discover are these undeniable facts. God came to this earth and he sent his son Jesus not to have a Q&A session with us. He sent his son Jesus to save us, to give us a picture of what God is like. He came as a person and he approached us in a very personal way. And that makes sense to me because if sin is what describes human nature, then Jesus had to come to us in a personal way because sin is very personal. It's not some, someone else that does it. It's me that does it. And when I peer inside of uh, who I am, it's very personal. So that it's so personal that I, I even have a hard time talking about my sin with my closest friends. Think about that. That's how personal it is. God is not intimidated by that. He wants to get personal with us because that's why he came, to deal with our sins, to save us. That part is undeniable. And, and so, you know, to encourage you to go to the gospel again, it's an amazing message of how God came and sent his son Jesus to save us from our sins, to offer us eternal life and an eternal relationship with him. Let's give, this is the pathway then to get to know Jesus through the church, through the Bible, through scripture, his revealed word. And then by doing that and by giving more weight to the undeniable things rather than the unexplainable, then you can really come to faith in Jesus. I want to end with this. At the end of this, in verse 32, it says, And when they got into the boat, the disciples, uh, they, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him. This Peter going back into the boat saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. At the end of this experience, this is Peter's confession. Somehow, in his struggle, in his stepping out, and then doubting, and sinking, and then Jesus saying, Come, and lifting him up, and then he's walking on water again. That whole picture mirrors in many ways, our potential pathway where we struggle, we arrive at truth again and again and again, and then we do that for the rest of our lives and we come to this again and again and again. Truly, you are the son of God. And this is not the first time Peter says this. The gospel truths, as we go back to it, let's keep going back to it and when we do, we affirm who Jesus is, we experience this worship this, this prayer that elevates us to uh, what is really real. And so my prayer as you begin your college career, some of you are already in, in, the, in the midst of your college career, is to use this space in college to answer your doubts, figure out if it's emotional, volitional, or intellectual. I think it's the most important thing that you can do in college because the horizon of is, is not just your life here, but because of what Jesus has done, he has stretched it out toward eternity. And it's on that scale that he wants us to think about our lives. And as we do so, um, I urge you to come to this pursuit of who Jesus is. And, and my prayer is that you would come to this conclusion. Truly, you are the Son of God. So, uh, amen.
Okay, let's uh, ha- uh, take some time to pray and uh, would like you to think about some of the doubts that you might have and how have you dealt with those doubts? How have you dealt with, the, like, what, where, where do you find yourself? Um, like, where do you source your doubts? Is it, is it in the emotions? Is it, is it in the intellectual aspect? Is it in the volitional, something that you're holding on to, that you're stubbornly clinging on to? And as you identify it, come to Jesus. Do what Peter did. Lord, save me. And in that humble plea, God will answer your prayer, remind you of what God has done in your life, remind you of how many times when you were sinking, He lifted you up and said, do not be afraid, I am here. And in those moments, uh, wasn't it true that He was right there by your side? And you had that worshipful moment when you said, truly, you are the Son of God. And so let's go back to that again and again as we face life's challenges and disorienting situations, fearful situations. Um, So let's have that prayer right now, even in this space, to come to a reaffirmation of who he is. Let's pray together.